give you a quick bulletin correction real fast. And the, the bulletin, it uh, uh, says communion before our time of response, and we have our time of response before our communion, just so you know, so you know what's going on there, so you're not confused. In just a few minutes, uh, we will be in Nehemiah chapter 2. And we'll be looking at verses 1 through 8 as we continue our process through going through the book of Nehemiah. If you want to go ahead and find your way there this morning, Nehemiah is in the Old Testament. I believe that most Christians want to be useful um, for God, but sometimes they just don't see how they can be in their present circumstances. The section of scripture that we are looking at is an example for us of what every single Christian can do regardless of of their present or regardless of what their present existence may be. Nehemiah is a man of immense integrity. He's a gifted leader. He's a passionate advocate for the cause of God and his kingdom. And sometimes his zeal could even appear excessive and even intimidating. But it was always for the kingdom of God and never for his own personal self-evaluation. Now, we will see many of these qualities later on, but but already as the cupbearer to the king, Nehemiah has shown us his courage to be trusted with the well-being of King Artaxerxes, ensuring that his food and drink were Poison-free was a task that could only be given to someone who had trustworthiness that was beyond question. And furthermore, as we know from last week, Nehemiah was a man of sustained prayer. His brother's news about Jerusalem and the people sent him to his knees, and he implored the God of heaven to remember his covenant, to love his people and audaciously reminded God that he redeemed them by his great power and by his strong hand. And in this chapter, Nehemiah continues to pray and to plan and to prepare for the work that God has called him to do. The last chapter closed with Nehemiah's prayer for favor with the king, and in this chapter, we see that prayer answered. With that said, I want us to understand that prayer is not us manipulating God to bend to our will. Sometimes we have a misunderstanding of really what prayer is, or we may even ask ourselves, why do we pray? Well, prayer is not trying to get God or manipulate God somehow to bend to my will and what I want in life, but rather prayer is me speaking or you speaking with your Heavenly Father causing us to bend to His will. God has his purposes. Prayer will not change God's purpose, but it will certainly change ours. God's providential purpose will come to pass. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will, as Proverbs 21.1 tells us. God was only preparing Nehemiah not only preparing Nehemiah, but he was preparing King Artaxerxes to respond favorably to Nehemiah's request to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. If you're able, would you please 
stand with me out of respect for God's word as we read Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 1 through 8. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and I gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence, and the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. And then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And then the king said to me, What are you requesting? And so I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. The king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. May you speak as your servants listen. May your word penetrate our hearts and our lives. May we understand that your providential purposes will come to pass. And may we understand the goodness of our great God this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Boldness and righteousness go hand in hand. If someone is just bold, it's not enough because only being bold can violate the rights of others, causing us to dominate them or trample them under our feet. Likewise, being just righteous is not enough either. Because if we do not have the initiative and courage to follow through with the ideas and projects, then nothing is accomplished. So even though we need boldness, especially in leaders, their boldness must be tempered by righteousness. A leader must know right from wrong and know what is right and what is the right thing to do. He must then act decisively and carry out the righteous act. So let's see what we learn in these eight verses this morning from Nehemiah. The first thing I want us to see this morning is this, the benefits of Nehemiah's duty. The benefits of Nehemiah's duty. Nehemiah had a secular duty, right? He was employed as a member of the king's cabinet. That was his, his job. And now, even though that Nehemiah was tied to his work, he still had a burden for God's work and God's people. In other words, just because Nehemiah had a secular job, a secular duty, that doesn't negate his Christian service or his Christian duty. We don't have the privilege as followers of Christ checking our, oh, I'm in church 
I then do my church things box. Like, oh, it's time to go to church. Here's my little church box. So I'm going to check my church box. And then I go to work and I check my little work box. That's not how things work. Now, because of the nature of his duty in the king's court, Nehemiah had the ear of the king. He had a he had a secular job working for the king, yet at the same time, he had a heart for God's people, and as we talked about last week, he was placed in a position by God for a particular purpose, and he has the ear of the king, and this would prove beneficial. Let's notice also not only the benefits of his duty, but let's see his patience. Let's see his patience. If we look at the beginning of verse 1, we're given some dates, and then back in chapter 1 where we have these dates as well. We saw that Nehemiah had received this distressing news about the affliction and the reproach of God's people back in Jerusalem. He immediately begins to pray that God would give him favor with the king according to chapter 1, verse 11, and that God would give him an opportunity. However, if we look at the dates given in chapter 1, verse 1, and then chapter 2, verse 1, it's clear that Nehemiah has spent four months in prayer. Four months he's prayed to have the opportunity, and then he gets the opportunity to approach the king with his desire to go to Jerusalem. And that's a powerful example of patience to us. Patience and prayer. He patiently waited for God for four months before God gave him the opportunity that he had prayed about. For four months, he planned and prayed and prepared and wept before God for Jerusalem. That whole time, it seems as though God is silent. You ever gone through that? Praying to God for something, and it seems as though God is silent. Surely that's how Nehemiah felt. Prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer. Not hearing, not having the opportunities prayed about. But let me be clear. Do not assume for one moment that God's silence means that God is not working. Nehemiah does not just rush recklessly into work. He doesn't just say, oh, well, I guess God's not going to do anything. It's all upon me. He prayed, and then he waited. He prayed, and he waited. He prayed, and he waited. And he waited, and he waited, and he waited until God gave the opportunity. He was a patient person. But let's also notice his performance, his patience and his performance. Nehemiah still held, held this secular job, but he remained faithful to it, right? It, I have found that when a person is not faithful in their service to their employer, they will not be faithful in their service to God. He didn't say, well... God's called me to do something. I'm done. I'm out of here. See you, king. Those people who refuse to serve the Lord in their current local church will never serve the Lord in another church either. The problem is not the church. So often 
uh, we'll hear people complain or people will leave a church for various reasons and and oftentimes the blame goes on the church or it goes on the pastor or whatever it might be but the problem is not the church the problem is the people and they're suffering from a heart condition that causes them to be lazy and not work for the Lord Nehemiah is not lazy he's not I don't think you would describe Nehemiah as laid back or as irresponsible no matter what God calls a person to do there are always other responsibilities that you have to remain faithful to as well it doesn't mean that you get to check out from from what what you know I'm doing this but God's called me to do this so I just get to check out I, I don't have any other responsibilities that's not the way it works Nehemiah maintained his responsibilities to the king even though he's praying for an opportunity that he would be able to go to Jerusalem and so we see his performance secondly point number two the burden Nehemiah displays he's about ready to get the break he's been praying for God in his providence has turned the king's heart and then where there was once no opportunity there's about to be an opportunity this is the Lord working not Nehemiah must keep in mind that it is God who opens a way for us to carry out his calling in our lives the great missionary Hudson Taylor said this the power of prayer has never been tried to its full capacity in any church if we want to see mighty wonders of divine power and grace wrought in the place of weakness failure and disappointment let the whole church answer God's standing challenge call unto me and I will answer thee and I will show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not without prayer we are powerless which is why the scripture clearly proclaims that we ought always to pray and not lose heart Luke 18 1 and we are told to pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. God's people are to be in a constant attitude of prayer. Remember when, when Peter was thrown into the prison, into the book of Acts? What did the church do? Let's not be like Peter. We don't want to get thrown into jail. That's not what they did. Did they go and rescue him? No. What did the church do? Peter is thrown into prison in the book of Acts, and the church prayed. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church, Acts 12.5. And it's not long after, after they are together in prayer that we read about the supernatural release by the hand of an angel. Prayer works. It is said so many Christians would never attend a prayer meeting. It's sad that that's the case. If one were held because they put little time into seeking God's will and power for their life or the life of the church. Prayer just seems so often to us as just a passing thing. Like, I pray for my meals. And I'll pray when things get tough. And I'll, I'll pray every once in a while. But to actively go to God in prayer is what Nehemiah 
does. He has this burden. The person that refuses to pray does not receive, is what James tells us. He makes it clear in James chapter 4, verse 2. We have not because we ask not. That's what he says. You don't have because you don't ask. Whenever a Christian gets to the point where they have no time for prayer, whenever a Christian says, I don't have time for prayer, I'm just, I'm just too busy to pray. When they get to that point, their usefulness to ministry is over. They're no longer useful for ministry. No one can successfully minister to others apart from prayer. You can't do it. Because it is in prayer that we reveal our total and utter dependence on God. And here we see the power of prayer coming to fruition. Right? So first we notice in this whole ordeal where we're looking at the burden that Nehemiah had. The first thing we notice is his sad expression. His sad expression. You've probably heard people say this before, right? They wear their emotions on their sleeve. You ever hear that? Right? And what are we saying? We're saying that you can always tell what that person's feeling because it's clear. They wear their emotions on their sleeve. Well, apparently that was the case for Nehemiah on this day because his sad heart was showing on his face and he made it clear that, that this had not happened before, right? Now, now to, to enter into the king's presence with a sad countenance would obviously be a very serious matter. We know this by looking at Nehemiah's response to the matter. Nehemiah said, Then I was very much afraid. Coming before the king in this matter, coming before the king looking all sad and gloomy, right? Nehemiah could be demoted or even put to death. You did not come into the presence of the king with a sad countenance on your face because it was taken as you were dissatisfied with the king. Now, I got to admit, sometimes as a husband, it'd be nice if I could be like, no sad countenance in my presence. Don't be putting a gloomy face on you. On you, I don't want to see it. But it, it just never works that way. Or as a dad, can you imagine? No sad countenance in my presence, kids. But that's the way it was with the, with the king. Please understand, church, the providence of God sometimes leads us into a very dangerous place. That was the case for Nehemiah. He's in a dangerous situation. And as Nehemiah served the king, he took notice of the sadness of his face. The, the, the king sees it. You can tell a lot by reading someone's face. A glad heart makes a cheerful face, but the sorrow of the heart, the spirit is crushed. Proverbs 15, 13. It seems that Nehemiah is not purposely going around looking all sad like the Pharisees used to do. Nehemiah had a broken heart and finally is showing on his face. His face bears the visual expression of his burden. And everything that Nehemiah had been praying for for four months now hangs in the balance. 
notice his speedy explanation. His sad expression, his speedy explanation. Nehemiah gives this quick explanation as to why he's sad. And notice the first words out of his mouth. Let the king live forever. Nehemiah is making it clear that his problem is not with the king. He responds with tact and respect. And, and even though we live in this supercharged society where politically speaking, most lack tact or respect, our approach to the authority of a government should be one of tact and respect. Let me say that again just in case we didn't understand it. Our approach to the authority of a government should be one of tact and respect. The scripture says that every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So no authority except from God, and the authority that exists has been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur Judgment, Romans 13, 1 and 2. All powers that are placed in authority are ordained by God. The authorities are to be respected and submitted to. We see this even with David and King Saul. David is given an opportunity, right, to kill Saul. And this is how David responds. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. 1 Samuel 24, 6. Government, whether it is good or bad, is placed in that position by an almighty and holy God. I don't care if it's Trump, Obama, or Chelsea's mama. God has put people there, and we are duty-bound. You and I, as followers of Christ, we are duty-bound to submit to its authority, even if it's a less than favorable government. It's of God's authority. Far too often, Christians disregard government authority. Far too often, Christians say, well, that, that doesn't apply to me. I, I, I serve a higher authority. However, the higher authority that you serve is behind the government, where you are placed. And we can disagree, and we can even speak out to a degree, and we can even use civil disobedience at times if we are ever required to go against God's word. But to pick a fight that's not biblically based is a fool's errand. Nehemiah quickly responds to the king's question and explains to him that the condition of Jerusalem is what has saddened his heart. And then we see, we, then we see the searching, or his searching employer. His searching employer. After the explanation, the king is not like, well, Nehemiah, that's nice. I don't care about those people. Right? No, instead, he's searching for the problem. Church, this is a providence of God working in the heart of the king, preparing him to respond favorably to Nehemiah. There 
a powerful biblical principle here for us to understand. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Proverbs 16, 17. Nehemiah is not out there fighting the government. He's not out there with, you know, uh, a picket and a sign, you know, bring down the government. He's not being sidetracked from the issue at hand. Instead, what does he do? He remains faithful in prayer, and he allows God to move and give him the opportunity. He took great patience. He had to fully understand the situation and hand it over to God. Had to fully turn it over to God and allow God to deal with the king. If you want to be a good leader, then focus on the call and let God deal with the obstacle. That's the best way to be a good leader. Focus on what God's called you to do and let him deal with the obstacle. So often, we see leaders trying to deal with the obstacles rather than focus on what God wants them them to do. So we see his searching and poise. And then we see his serious entreaty. His serious entreaty. Verse 4 contains one of the briefest, but also one of the most monumental, important statements anywhere in Scripture. The king has asked Nehemiah what is wrong with him, and Nehemiah has responded with this bold statement. And the subtext, by the way, of what Nehemiah is saying is pretty clear. Jerusalem is a mess, king, and it's all because, because you put a stop of the rebuilding of the city's walls. That's basically what he's saying. Nehemiah knew it. The king knew it as well. Nehemiah's heart must have stopped beating when the king says to Nehemiah, what are you requesting? And it's at this point that perhaps Nehemiah's heart is about to explode from his chest that the text very matter-of-factly adds this line. So I prayed to the God of heaven. I prayed to the God of heaven. Monumental statement. I can't imagine that much time had passed between the asking of the question, what are you requesting from the king, and the reply of Nehemiah in verse 5. I don't think a whole lot of time passed. I don't I don't believe, and we don't have it recorded, that Nehemiah said, um, Excuse me for a moment, King. I need to have a brief time of prayer before I answer your question. Nor do I believe that Nehemiah stood there going, in total silence. In all likelihood, those that were watching were unaware of any delay between the king's question and Nehemiah's response, and yet the scripture makes it abundantly clear that Nehemiah prayed. And this is what, what, not some super long prayer, it's what we call an SOS, solemn and silent prayer. He had been praying and fasting for four months. He had prayed many long prayers, but this was an emergency prayer. Nehemiah Nehemiah fired off a prayer with an arrow-like precision, and it ascended to heaven instantly. It may have lacked verbal niceties. It may not have had liturgical correctness, 
but it was urgent, it was vital, it was sincere, and it was silently focused. And it may have been, Lord, help me. I, I need you. God, give me grace to say this right. But aren't you glad that God hears the prayer of his people in an instant? Wow. No sooner than it leaves you, no sooner than you think it, he knows it. Wow. I don't believe that Nehemiah uttered this prayer. I believe he just simply, God help me. God heard me. Short prayers are just as effective as regular lengthy prayers. There are some short prayers in the Bible, right? Luke 23, 42, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Revelation 22, 20, come Lord Jesus. Listen, prayer is a necessity. Nehemiah had been praying for this for four months, and the moment came, and he still feels the need to seek the Lord in prayer. This kind of response to life's troubles does not just occur, folks. But it comes by consistent prayer life. Nehemiah prayed like this because he was always praying like this. Nehemiah knew what it was like to totally depend upon God. This was not the first time that he had sent up a prayer to God. Now think about this. Nehemiah had been praying for all of these months. And the answer was not yet. And here he prays, and the answer is an instant response in the affirmative from God. We need to be prayed up and prepared to seek God at a moment's notice. There is nothing wrong with short prayers in public, but they are to be backed up by long prayers in private. If you want to be a good leader, then pray often and pray fervently. The third thing that we see concerning Nehemiah is this, the blessing that Nehemiah desired. Nehemiah needed and actually desired the blessing of the king. He wanted the king to hear him and, he respond, and for the king to respond favorably to him. He can certainly be um, impressed by his instincts, and we can be impressed by, by how Nehemiah responds, and so can the king. But everything came directly from the Lord. Nehemiah knows that his only chance of going back to rebuild Jerusalem is if the king grants it to him and gives him, give him his blessing. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. And so we see the passion Nehemiah revealed, the passion he revealed. Look what Nehemiah said in verse 5. He declares with tact and honesty what his desire is. When he declares, send me to Judah, it would require the king to do a U-turn and resend a previous edict relating to the walls of Jerusalem. Artaxerxes is the same king who listened to the Samaritans' complaints and ordered that the city will not be rebuilt until he orders it so. Nehemiah reveals his passion, but the king could have easily thought that this was some sort of attempt of, of revolt of some kind. However, he does not. You talk about the providence of God. You see what God has purposed will come to pass. Only God can take an autocratic king of Persia and change his former law to benefit Nehemiah and the remnant in Judah. 
God orders all things for the good of his people and the glory of his name. In God's providence, he had in mind the future birth of his son into a Jewish family so that he would die on a Roman cross for the salvation of his elect. The 180 of King Artaxerxes <clears throat> was just another link in the chain of the unfolding decrees of an all-powerful and almighty God. <clears throat> Think about it. Scripture tells us that God is working the good for his people. How is he doing that? In order to do that, he has to be in control, right? Things can't just be spun all out of control. Otherwise, he's not working the good of his people, nor for the glory of his name. And that's exactly what we see in these verses. Nehemiah has humbly identified himself as the king's servant, but make no mistake about it, God's the one in control here. And Nehemiah obediently declares his passion to the king and asks permission to return home. Now let's see the pleasing realized. The pleasing realized. As we look at verse 6, we notice that Artaxerxes wants to know how long the journey will be and when he can expect Nehemiah to return. Nehemiah had plenty of time to think about this, and so he obviously was ready to give all the required answers. Now we know from Nehemiah chapter 5 verse 14 and Nehemiah chapter 13 verse 6 which we'll get there eventually that this was going to take 12 years. However, it's doubtful that Nehemiah said, oh, I'll be back in 12 years. More than likely, he would have come back within a certain amount of time, probably after the dedication of the walls and then he would have returned at times to have his appointment as governor renewed. With that said, the king to allow his cupbearer to leave for extended periods of time reveals the respect that he must have had for Nehemiah. It pleased the king to allow him to go. And then we see the provision requested. When we read verses 7 and 8, it's like, wow. The audacity of the request is breathtaking. I mean, I guess Nehemiah might as well ask for all that he can in one breath while he perceives that the king is going to listen to him. You ever have your kids do that? Right? They, they may think you're going to say no, and then you say yes, or then they just keep asking. Well, that worked. Just keep going. That's like Nehemiah here. First, Nehemiah asked for these letters of authorization for his journey. The reason he asked for them was that, that the city would, uh, so that the people would enable him to pass freely through different provinces as he made his way to Judah. And then Nehemiah asked for the king to write a letter to Asaph to give him the timber that he would need to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And that's what I mean by an audacious request. Oh, by the way, can you give me a letter so I can go to your guy and get the timber to be able to rebuild? Solomon said the righteous are bold as a lion, Proverbs 28.1. Furthermore, Nehemiah asked for a house to be furnished for him while he's there. The whole request involved a complete reversal of the king's policy concerning the building of the city's defenses. There was nothing in the king's recent policies that would even suggest to Nehemiah that anything that he is asking is likely to come to pass. Yet as we see in the next point, it does. Because we see the permission received. 
Nehemiah's request is granted. Remember when we pray, God's delays are not denials. Nehemiah didn't just give up. He continued to pray, remain faithful in prayer and preparing and in planning. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps, Proverbs 16:9. So go ahead and make plans, but don't get ahead of God. Let God direct your steps. Nehemiah got everything he needed and more. Paul said that God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, Ephesians 3.20. Paul also said, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19. Now, even though Artaxerxes granted the request, he was only the instrument through which, through which God used to supply his servant. When God is a supplier, there is no shortage. Let me just make a brief comment here about leadership. Nehemiah was a good leader. Good leaders realize that their success is in God's hands, and they trust God to bring it to pass. God is sufficient in every single circumstance. He is sufficient. Lastly, let's see the providence relished. I love verse 4, especially when it says, for the good hand of my God was upon me. The king backs Nehemiah's vision to rebuild the wall. It was no small matter. And Nehemiah was humble enough to realize that his success was only because of the work of the Lord. God had worked powerfully in the heart of the king. Nehemiah was quick to proclaim that that the success that had taken place was at the providential hand of God. There are three quick lessons here I want us to notice. First, God is entirely sovereign. God is entirely sovereign. The power of a Persian dictator is no match for the God of heaven. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Proverbs 21.1. If God can change the heart of Artaxerxes, he can change the heart of anyone. We worship the God who reversed the decision of an ancient dictator. God is sovereign over all things. If he is not sovereign over all, he is not sovereign at all. Plain and simple. He is sovereign over everything. Secondly, what happened is an example of the goodness of God. God is good by his very nature. The psalmist's refrain is that every meal, every pleasure, every possession, every bit of sun, every night's sleep, every moment of health and safety, and everything else that sustains and enriches our life is a divine gift from an all mighty God, Psalm 145. Goodness of God. However, there are times of special goodness. The goodness of God's divine interruptions that breaks into the course of the ordinary and sometimes mundane. Interruptions that are designed to bring us blessing and further God's kingdom. 
God had answered Nehemiah's prayer. To the sustained prayer and the quick prayer he threw up in the king's presence, God answered. The explanation for the special blessing was not that the king had been so good to Nehemiah. That's not the explanation. But the explanation was that the king of kings had been good to Nehemiah. Third, it is a true mark of leadership that Nehemiah had and contributes all of his his success to the Lord's hands. Nehemiah is careful that God receives the glory. Think about it. Nehemiah could have turned this story into a story of self-congratulation, right? And then then the king said this, and then I said this, and, and I and I I was feeling so weak, but but I just really straightened up and, and God gave me the, the courage, but boy I, I said it. I have good skill and I'm smart and I have wisdom. And I have courage. Nehemiah had all these things in abundance. It's only there because God enabled him. It was because of God's providential purpose. And that it will come to pass. You can't stop it. But here's the thing. We often don't know it, right? We don't know God's providential purpose. What I mean is by this, by that, is this. We often have no clue what God's will is. We don't know because there's such a thing as God's secret will. And we're not supposed to know it. We have no idea what it is. God, what's your, what's your will? Should I, should I go to this restaurant or that restaurant? I don't know. Why are we asking such a silly question? What job should I take? God, should I take this job or that job? I don't know. And you're not supposed to know his secret will. You know what yours and mine job is? To be obedient to his revealed will. Right? His revealed will is right here. And we're supposed to be obedient to what we read in here. His revealed will revealed to you and I. But we don't want to be obedient to his revealed will. We can't even be obedient to his revealed will. What thinks you what makes you think you're going to be obedient to his secret will? When you're not even obedient to his revealed will. Right? So don't sit there and worry about, oh well, but what about this? And what about that? And what about this? And what about that? And God, what's your will for this? And what's your will for that? God is in control. You be obedient. And God's providence will come to pass. And check this out. It's always what's best for you. Wow. And here's the thing. It may not always feel this way. It may not always feel this way. But it's what's best. How do we trust it's what's best? Because God's character is good. 
character is always good. And how do we trust it's what's best? Because it's for our good, he said. Our good and his glory. What? I got cancer. I don't I don't have cancer. I'm this is I'm making an illustration. I don't want to freak anybody out. At least I don't think I do. Right? I I got a disease. I got something wrong with me. You're telling me that's for my good? That's exactly what I'm telling you. That if you had to choose it, you would never choose it. But it's somehow for your good and for His glory. By His power, God providentially brought everything together. And now Nehemiah can move forward in his work. May we never forget that it is God, not us, who moves the hearts of people. May we always seek to give God the credit for any success that you may have. May we say like the psalmist did, that this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Psalm 118. Nehemiah is writing this account after the fact. From what seems to be memoirs. And as he thinks about that occasion, when he had the nerve to say these things to the king, he certainly must have wondered, even just a little, where did that come from? You ever done that? Recall something that you said or did, and you thought, where did that come from? Surely that was Nehemiah. And the answer, of course, is that the Holy Spirit and the good hand of God were guarding him, protecting, protecting him, anticipating and planning every single detail of the venture. Looking back, Nehemiah is able to see with great clarity how things could have gone wrong in so many ways, yet they never did. It all worked out so perfectly. And the explanation to this is clear. It's clear to Nehemiah and it's clear to us. It was all of God. You get that? It was not 50% God and 50% Nehemiah. It was not 80% God and 20% Nehemiah. It was not 95% God and 5% Nehemiah. It was not 99.9% God and 0.1% Nehemiah. It was all God. All of God. In its entirety was all because the over ruling goodness of God in the life of Nehemiah. Church, we must understand that indeed God's providential purpose will come to pass. But let me ask you this this morning. Is this how you see the events in your life? Is this how you see the events in your life? 
Are you as careful as Nehemiah to acknowledge God's hand in your life? Are you giving God the glory that's due His holy name? Are you saying that's only because of God? Are you trusting that God's providential purpose will come to pass in your life, therefore making you obedient to the will of God in your life? Are you thinking that somehow you got to do more? Somehow you got to make this happen? Somehow it all rests on your shoulders? I would not want to bear the weight that anything rests on my shoulders because I can do nothing apart from God. Do you trust that God's providential purpose will come to pass in your life and that your only job is to be obedient to the will of God in your life and that He is in ultimate control and that everything that He does in your life will work out for your good? sing a song and maybe you'd say pastor I'm I'm not there maybe you need prayer I'd, I'll be standing down front I'd love to pray with you you can pray in your pew maybe this morning for the first time you'd say I, I don't even know Jesus I don't know God I don't, this is all foreign to me I've never even heard anything like this and you want to know more and you can just come down and say I, I want to know more about that and I'll talk to you later you feel led to come, I want to give you that opportunity this morning as we sing a song this morning. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you.